What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hello, good friends. It's Friday, December 8th, about 8.30 in our nation's capital. Time for this week's Reporters Roundtable. Welcome and thanks for joining us. Well, we're for reporters covering the White House, the Congress, and national politics. It's been another busy week with news on several fronts. Senate Republicans blocked funding for Ukraine over demands for more security at the border. Four remaining 2024 GOP presidential candidates met for a debate nobody watched or cares about. Meanwhile, the Republican frontrunner, who was not there, promised that if elected, he would only be a dictator on day one. Uh, And a month ago, he was Speaker of the House, but in another two weeks, he'll just be another ex-congressman. There's no word yet on whether Kevin McCarthy will join ex-congressman George Santos in making cameo videos for $200 a pop. (laughs) So much to talk about, so let's jump right in with today's panel. Maya King, politics reporter for the New York Times, covering the South, uh, based in Atlanta. Hello, Maya. Hi, Bill. Good to have you back. Thank you. Linda Feldman, Washington Bureau Chief and White House Correspondent for the Christian Science Monitor. Hello, Linda. Hi, Bill. And good to have you back as well. And we welcome back Arthur Delaney, political reporter for HuffPost. Hi, Arthur. Hello, Bill. So uh, there is, um, it's hard to know, so much to talk about where to start. But let's start on the Hill. Arthur, here is a little clip from when he was Speaker of the House of Representatives talking to Manu Raju Kevin McCarthy. I mean, your question is, just give up and quit. I'm the wrong guy to ask that question to. I never quit. He never quits, Arthur. <laughs> what happened? Were you? Was it a surprise, really, when Kevin McCarthy said he's going to step down? I was surprised. Of course, there were lots of rumors that he would do this, but it didn't make sense because the Republicans need every member they can get since their majority is so slim. And so when he quit, uh, it went against what he said. It went against the logic of uh, being a team player. And yet he said... Uh, you know, I'm proud of myself. I left it all on the field. He's leaving at halftime. He literally has half a term left. So it was a, a, a big surprise to me, despite the rumors, because it's so contrary to the interests of the Republican Party that he, uh, you know, supposedly was devoted to. Yeah. But Maya, as, as uh, Arthur points out, so George Santos gone. Patrick McHenry says he's not going to run. Governor McCarthy says he's not gone. He's he's leaving. Uh that leaves a very slim margin for Republicans in the House. A very slim. By my count, that would leave just two um, <laughs> Republicans, right? I'll, I'll yield to the to the congressional experts. But... Yeah, that, yeah they'll, they'll have two, and they could wind up with one when uh, Congressman Bill Johnson of Ohio uh, leaves sometime in, in uh, February. Yeah. So my... I think 
I think now what you have are, are folks at the DCCC and Democrats who are just readying themselves to really pounce on this and try to claw back their majority in the House, especially with all of these policies now up for grabs or particularly um, controversial policies that I think Democrats are very eager to pass, like uh, more funding to Ukraine. These are the mm -hmm. things I think you'll hear them talking more about um, and trying to get their majority back to try to get something over there soon. Right. Uh, I just want to add a point. I talked to a uh, person very close to Governor Gavin Newsom this week who pointed out that uh, Gavin Newsom will be in no hurry to help Republicans by calling a special election in California. He can slow walk it as much as six months, right? So he's not going to be in a hurry to give them a chance to probably elect another Republican in that uh, Bakersfield district. So uh, he's not going to help them out at any rate. Uh, so Linda, um, uh, Maya mentioned Ukraine. That was mm -hmm. one other big news from the Hill this week, where Republicans basically blocked any effort to continue U.S. Mm -hmm. support in funding for Ukraine, something a big priority for the Biden administration. Here, the president talked about it right after that failure to pass the funding. Here's President Biden from the White House. I think it's stunning that we've gotten to this point in the first place. Republicans in Congress are willing to give Putin the greatest gift he could hope for and abandon our global leadership. Uh, big priority for the White House. Do you think now the president's going to jump in himself, Linda? I think, I think he has to. What we're hearing is that it's time for Joe Biden, a obviously a seasoned legislator, 36 years in the Senate, eight years as vice president. He's got the chops to do this, and he just has to jump in personally. He cares very, very deeply about this. And even though he's old and isn't quite the old Joe Biden we used to know, he's still, I think he can still do this, but it's, it's, it's a slog. And the stakes are incredibly high. The Ukrainians say they're running out of ammo. The U.S. is running out of its ability to send ammo. The politics in Ukraine are heating up with supposedly a presidential election on the horizon, um, devotion to Zelensky is not absolute. And so I think the, the gambit that they need to play, the White House needs to play, is to make it clear that this isn't just about Ukraine. This is also about Poland and about the Baltics and other countries in that space in the old East Bloc, which are all in peril if Russia is allowed to mow down Ukraine and completely take over. So are there, what is the, I hate to be a cynic about this. No, well, not really, but you know, I've been hearing about, we need more security at the border for 50 years, right? I mean, what are Republicans holding out for and how do they tie whatever, whatever is happening on our Southern border with uh, what Vladimir Putin's doing in Ukraine? Well, it's something they always wanted and that's why the White House included some border money as a sweetener in their original request for this uh -huh. Uh -huh. money for uh, Israel and Ukraine. And th that was a major point of contention when uh, uh, senior military people were on the Hill briefing senators on Tuesday. And Tom Cotton yelled at Chuck Schumer uh, saying it was the Biden administration that proposed this mashup, uh, even though it does seem arbitrary and chris murphy the democrat from connecticut was like well i should hold out for an assault weapons ban yeah uh, but anyway the, the things republicans uh two of the things they want are a change to asylum laws that would make it easier for the government to turn people away um unless they have a there's you know a higher threshold for fear of being 
persecuted in their home country, and they want to reduce the administration's ability to use humanitarian parole to let people in. For instance, people they did that for people from Ukraine, Afghanistan, Venezuela. So it, it's big stuff. And Democrats are opposed to that. But if Joe Biden could come in and cut a deal, then I could imagine them being pulled along. Maya, does the Republican Party really want to be really want to cut off all funding for Ukraine? I mean, it's, even some Republicans have said, how did the party of Ronald Reagan become the party of Vladimir Putin? And that really has been the question. I think no, but what you what you do see, which has been a common theme with the Republican Party in Congress now, is the entire caucus having to go along with the whims of uh, a very vocal minority. I think, you know, the people who I've been paying closest attention to are these uh, Congress congressmen and women further to the right who just have been screaming about not really seeing the value in giving more money to Ukraine, given the domestic issues um, here in the United States. And I I think that their platform has given way to uh, representing the entire caucus and its, and its views on, on Ukraine and Ukraine funding. But no, I don't think by any means this is the largest um, view writ large of, of the Republican Party. Uh, so one other big, um, maybe surprising bit of news this week from the Hill, um, Arthur, back to you. Um, the, the new speaker, Mike Johnson, uh, said he was going to release all the tapes from January 6th, but with one little um, editing uh, before those tapes are released. Uh, here is Mike Johnson explaining what he wants to do and why. As you know, we have to blur some of the faces of persons who uh, participated in, in, uh, in the events of that day because we don't want them to be retaliated against and, uh, and, and, and to be charged by the DOJ. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Arthur, these people were in the Capitol illegally, and he wants to blow their faces so they can't be charged. Yes, and I, they had previously said they would uh, blur some faces, but they, they didn't say it was to prevent charges. I mean, it is an explicit and shocking statement of sympathy with criminal rioters, every single one of whom, even if they didn't punch a cop, were on Capitol grounds in a restricted area and were therefore committing a crime. They're all criminals, even though the Justice Department, you know, they use their discretion and they're going after ones who weren't just walking for the most part. So it, it's incredible. And it's, it's contrary to his own stated reason for releasing this footage, yeah, which is that we trust the American people to come to their own conclusions. Well, no, you don't. And what, what they're trying to prevent is uh, people from identifying rioters and sending tips to the FBI. And they all but explicitly said that, too, in a follow-up statement where he said, they clarified, you know, the DOJ already has the footage, so it's not that I'm trying to prevent them from using it directly and prosecuting it. It's the other, they call it retaliation, but there, you know, there's been a, a long-standing pattern of amateur detectives using facial recognition and uh, archival photos and social media to send tips to the Justice Department. They've built cases for the FBI out of whole cloth. So th uh, that's what he's talking about. It's just shocking. You're at least supposed to pretend that you're against rioters. <laughs> uh, I mean, Linda, it's hard to describe it as anything other than obstruction of justice, right? Right. I mean, 
so he has the ability to, to control what's seen in these videos, and he's using that. I mean, Mike Johnson is an interesting case because he's seen as very mild-mannered. He's almost like the Clark Kent of Congress. Yes, right? Yeah. that's um, right on. You know, but but he's but he isn't quite as innocent. I mean, my gay brother sent me a link yesterday to uh, a video of of Mike Johnson speaking at the Museum of the Bible, saying that he was effectively chosen by God to be Moses, and <laughs> and, and, beco and becoming Speaker of the House. And it was it was a very anti. LGBTQ event. Um, and he said, okay, no, there's no media here, so I can speak freely. But then the organizers of the event posted it on Facebook. So, <laughs> so we have to keep an eye. I mean, Mike Johnson is such an interesting case. I, I don't know how long he'll last as speaker, but but he's he comes across as very anodyne, and yet he takes these steps that aren't you know, a hundred percent transparent, I guess is the way I did. Did you know, I, I have known him for years and he's mm -hmm. always been very pleasant and, and knowledgeable about policy. Mm -hmm. And he never mentioned that he was Moses. <laughs> there you go. Uh, well, one other um, area where Mike uh, Johnson shows, maybe he's more conservative than we thought Maya is he has said, we're going to have a vote on an impeachment inquiry before the end of the year, probably uh, next week. Again, is this really where the Republican Party wants to go? I mean, that's where they say they do. And we've already seen the, uh, the investigations on the Hill not really go anywhere. And so I think, you know, the way that I interpret this from Johnson is just an effort to make sure that he's kind of safe in his seat because I believe the rules are still in place that would allow a vote to keep to essentially oust him if uh, oh, yeah. a few people yeah. in the Republican caucus see him as insufficiently loyal to the party. And so I think that that's going to require him to have to make a few you know, decisions that, uh, that, that appease that wing of the party. I just don't, I don't see it you know, really going anywhere, but this is the platform that, the, that this, this iteration of the GOP has chosen. Arthur, what's your call? Does he have the votes? Uh, most likely, because I've talked to some of the moderates, um, like uh, Carlos Jimenez and uh, Don Bacon of Nebraska, who are impeachment skeptics, and, and Bacon told me he's fine with it. Mm. And they, mm. wouldn't, they wouldn't put it on the floor if it didn't have the votes. And it, it was, it's just been funny that they were going through this, like, why are you guys making us watch you do this? Why are you punching yourselves? But I, they, they actually published the resolution on the rules committee and they'll take it up Tuesday. So I, I think they probably know what they're doing and will pass it. And the moderates know, and, and, and Johnson stressed that this is not the same as actually impeaching Joe Biden. But it will be a vote, and perhaps again as early as next week. Okay, well, we haven't even touched on the national political scene yet, but let's do it after a quick break here uh, on today's Reporters Roundtable. Uh, and then we'll be back and pick up with Arthur Delaney from HuffPost, Linda Feldman from Christian Science Monitor, and Mike King from The New York Times. And today, I just want to issue one of those last chance warnings, which is, you've heard me talk about uh, your best bet for holiday shopping, a wonderful gift for yourself or someone you love, and that is a hand-woven scarf 
by my wife, Carol Press. But seriously, last chance to get your orders in so Carol can get them uh, out to you in time for the holidays. Check out her website at carolpressscarves.com, carolpressscarves.com. Beautiful scarves, each one hand-woven, many new designs and colors to choose from. Uh, They come in either rayon chenille or bamboo. Just the thing to keep you warm during this holiday season. Again, perfect gift for yourself or someone you love. Check it out, carolpressscarves.com. But get, get into the deadline if you want it out there to you by the holidays. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with today's Reporters Roundtable. Okay, joining us today uh, from the HuffPost, Arthur Delaney. From the Christian Science Monitor, Linda Feldman, and the New York Times, Maya King. Well, Maya, we all stayed up just to watch that great debate. (laughs) I don't know what you all did. I didn't watch any of it, but I've seen certainly enough clips of it. Um, What was this, uh, just the the run for second place, Maya? Did it count at all? Well, that's exactly it. It's it's a run for second place. I think what you see in the Republican primary now is um, a handful of candidates who are betting on or hoping for perhaps some kind of implosion of former President Trump, whether that's as a result of the trials that he faces, his age or anything else. And so, you know, folks are trying to just wait in the wings and be in line uh, should the base of, of Republican voters, which is upwards of 50 percent now of the base, decides that they're interested in, an, in, a, in a real alternative or, or, you know, legitimately interested. But, you know, I think that these debates kind of have diminishing returns. We paid so much attention to the first one, or at least, you know, as much as we could with, with President, former President Trump not being there. And now um, this week on the fourth one, you know, decidedly less attention. I believe the the ratings for this debate were actually lower than the debate uh, with uh, 
Gavin Newsom and Ron DeSantis, <laughs> just to give you a sense of things. Well, then I think the one conclusion that I've said, I think everybody made after the debate is that there is nobody more obnoxious in American politics today than Vivek Ramasamy. Here is Chris Christie on the debate stage. This is the fourth debate, the fourth debate that you would be voted in the first 20 minutes as the most obnoxious blowhard in America. So <laughs> shut up for a while. <laughs> what, I, what, is, what is the attraction for Ramaswamy, Linda? Can you read it? So I, I hear the exasperation. I hear this from a lot of people, a lot of Republicans. They want him just to go away, that he's not going to be the nominee, that he's auditioning for something, you know, running mate or cabinet. I don't know. Um, yeah. So this is sort of the point about why this debate was so meaningless is that somebody like Vivek Ramaswamy could get all this airtime and his antics and uh, I, I, too, didn't watch the debate. I was actually at the White House Christmas party, mm. um, mm-hmm. but watched, came home, got home uh, partway through, just in time to watch Ramaswamy hold up his sign, oh. uh, you know, corrupt, Nikki Haley equals corrupt or whatever it said. Um, so for me, the debate was kind of meaningless. And the evidence of that is that you get these wildly different assessments of who won. I mean, you have... Like the Washington Post put out a poll that said Ron DeSantis won. This is a poll of potential Republican primary and caucus voters saying that DeSantis won. Really? I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and now we're going to have what, two or three more debates. Um, CNN and ABC have just debates in Iowa and New Hampshire. So good Lord. Yeah. The the news. Uh, Well, uh, there there were some who said maybe Ron DeSantis had his best night so far, but uh, Arthur, wasn't it still Nikki Haley who, who's looks seriously like the only possible alternative to Donald Trump at this point? That's the emerging conventional wisdom that she's been turning in steady debate performances and is far less ridiculous than the other people <laughs> on stage. Uh, Linda, Linda suggested is is uh, is Ramaswamy an act? Or is is he an, is he auditioning or is this the act? Uh, somebody somebody else said this already, but is he is this actually a joke? And he's going to reveal that he was just pretending to be a Republican to see if he could get on stage at all these debates and like actually get attention for right. himself. Because nobody believes he believes what he's saying. Uh, so, Maya, another um, major um, development this week, I guess, is the release of Lynn Cheney's book. And she's been everywhere uh, giving interviews, making it very clear. Here she is with uh, CBS's John Dickerson about the choice facing Americans in 2024. In my view, you know, fundamentally, there is a choice to be made. You can't both be for Donald Trump and for the Constitution. You have to choose. But what's surprising, maybe, Maya, is that she's saying she would consider perhaps, perhaps an independent run for president. Uh, Is she serious? And what impact could that have? I mean, I think she, she might be. I interpret that as a possible chance to just take more support away from from former president trump i don't think that if she's running for president it's because she feels like she has a real shot i mean she's essentially a pariah now in the republican party because of how she has 
distanced herself um, and outright criticized the, the former president, called him an, uh, an enemy of democracy, and also implicated several other Republicans in Congress, including Speaker Johnson, um, as, as sort of co-conspirators in, in overthrow, overturning uh, Democratic elections. So if she does run, I really doubt that there will be a, a real captive audience. However, there are probably some Republicans and some Democrats, frankly, who don't really who, who would like to to siphon away some support or see, find a way to vote for her um, that might hurt Trump. And I think if she can figure out that calculation, she may very well jump in if it looks like, um, which it does at least today, if it looks like it's going to be a very close race. But Arthur, so you've got maybe Liz Cheney. Uh, Cornell West, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. Um, if all all of them end up on the ballot, they're going to take more votes from Trump than Biden. No. Well, there's there's been evidence that that uh, RFK Jr. in particular does pull from Trump more than Biden, but I find it hard to speculate about it because it all sounds so weird. I don't be- <laughs> I don't believe there's actually a constituency out there for Liz Cheney. Do you? Uh, no, no, <laughs> uh, not as an independent candidate. I think it, yeah, I, it's cl- it's clear that people use presidential campaigns as platforms for self promotion in a very cynical way, and it's hard to tell which of these people is doing that or actually trying to build a political career and, and run for president. So then there is a man who was not there on the stage, Linda Donald Trump. Uh, he gave a little interview with Sean Hannity, which made some news this week. Uh, here is Donald Trump talking about what uh, the big thing he told Sean Hannity. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. Only on day one, then, so we can all uh, feel comfort, take comfort from that, right? Uh, right, right. So so let's say Trump is elected and we, we, go, we get through day one and he's done the dictator thing. And then he goes, oh, wait a minute, I'm not done. And then off we go. So, I mean, this is... It's it's political science fiction, but you have to think about it as a as a legit possibility. I mean, I was also struck by this talk of a Trump loyalty first cabinet and all the people who would fill his administration. I mean, we've been here inside the Beltway. We've been speculating on who actually would serve in another Trump administration, and all the you know the grownups in the room won't go there, right? The Bill Bars and the Steve Mnuchins are done with this whole scene, but. You know, we were hearing that Melania would like to see Tucker Carlson as vice president. This <laughs> is like, yeah. it's a bad novel. Steve Bannon is chief of staff, Stephen Miller, maybe the next attorney general. And as far as I know, he doesn't even have a law degree. So that would be interesting. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but my Chris Christie, um, again, at the debate in his closing statement where he riled up the crowd a little bit. Um, said, here's a reality check for the 2024 election. I want you all to kind of picture in your minds election day. You'll all be heading to the polls to vote. And that's something that Donald Trump will not be able to do because he will be convicted of felonies before then and his right to vote will be taken away. You know, you look, here's the bottom line. You can boo about it all you like and continue to deny reality. But if we deny reality as a party, we're going to have four more years of Joe Biden. Strong argument, Maya. 
Well, and that's really why Christie is running, right? To be the anti-Trump and to be the person who says out loud, this person is a danger to democracy. This person probably won't win against in a general election. And it's just a deeply, deeply flawed candidate. Um, and I think, you know, the people who are really cheering on this message are Democrats. This is essentially what Chris Christie just said, encapsulated all of President Biden's re-election message, which is not necessarily like, you know, He'll talk about his policy achievements, but voters have not really signaled any interest in hearing those. And so now it's all about what his predecessor has done and what he plans to do um, in 2025 if reelected. I've seen so many uh, fundraising emails, press emails, and even conversations with the Biden campaign team. This really is the message. I think think Christie actually just said it, which is just, Mm -hmm. this is someone who was going to absolutely uh, fly in the face of democratic norms. And if he's reelected, if Trump is reelected, the Biden campaign argues that will be the last uh, democratic election uh, in, in, in recent United States history. So um, there is breaking news this morning that could very well have an impact on the 2024 race. And that is that Hunter Biden, son of President Biden, has been indicted by a federal grand jury, this is not nothing to do with the gun charges for which he's already been indicted, but indicted on nine counts of evading uh, federal taxes. Um, Arthur, um, could this be uh, a problem for Joe Biden in 2024? How serious is it? What do you know about it? It's a political problem for Joe Biden because polls show people believe what Republicans say, which is that Biden was involved in his son's businesses that are causing all these uh, criminal problems for Hunter Biden. He's being charged uh, late last night with um, nine counts of uh, tax crimes, including uh, tax evasion, which is which is pretty serious. And he's also got a, um, a gun felony charge. Uh, but this is uh, another way of looking at it, though, is that this is the, the work of this special counsel who's been been uh, told by Merrick Garland to just do your worst, go to town on Hunter Biden. And he's working with all the material that the Trump Justice Department had funneled out of Ukraine and elsewhere with Rudy Giuliani's help. And these are the violations they're coming up with when what Republicans want to say about the Bidens is that there's a like a, a foreign bribery, high crime and misdemeanor. Instead, we're getting these uh, you know, tax and gun charges that don't have that, uh, uh, you know, f- full implication at all. So it's it's basically bad, though. But uh, and David Weiss was appointed by Donald Trump, correct? That, that's right. He was appointed yeah. by Donald Trump and the Justice Department even outlined a process through which they vetted all the material encompassing the bribery allegations that Republicans have been pursuing on Capitol Hill in their parallel investigation. There's tons of overlap, but when it comes to criminal charges, this is what they have. They have Hunter Biden not paying his taxes, Hunter Biden hiring lots of prostitutes and viewing pornography and illegally owning a gun while he was addicted to crack cocaine and smoking crack 15, every 15 minutes in, in uh, 2018 and 2019. All right. So we'll see how that turns out. And there you go. A good look back at the news of this week. Uh, Great, great big thanks to our panelists today, as always. But before we let you go, uh, we always want to know 
What's one story in the week that caught your attention, stopped you in your tracks, your favorite story of the week? Uh, Arthur, I know you have a tight um, deadline, so let's start with you. I, the, the story, my favorite story of this week was the, the Robert Kagan piece in uh, the Washington Post yeah. about how you know we're on the verge of a Donald Trump dictatorship. And I, I, I think it was a good polemic. Uh, he, he may have you know, reached in, uh, in portraying it as, as almost inevitable, but it was really focusing and it, it had big fallout. J.D. Vance asked the uh, <laughs> Justice Department to maybe investigate him. I talked to Vance and he was like, I was just trying to make a point. I don't really want to throw Robert Kagan in prison. Um, but it, it's it's a very live debate. And even if Kagan is totally wrong, it's actually a little scary that he could make this point and we'd all have to argue about it. Uh, just yeah, just uh, summing up there, Kagan said there are two questions. Would Donald Trump uh, uh, bring about a dictatorship? And is there any way to stop him? Uh, and his answers were, yes, he would. Yes, 100% to number one. Maybe not to number two. Uh, pretty scary, pretty scary stuff. Uh, how about you, Linda? What uh, caught your attention particularly? So I'm going completely politics free and light. All my, right. All my, right. <laughs> my favorite recent piece was in the Washington Post. It was called Live Out Your Hallmark Movie Fantasies in These Five Festive Towns. And that, that caught my so I had never watched a Hallmark movie in my life. <laughs> we were visiting with my mom near Boston during Thanksgiving. And this is my 86-year-old mom. She's has a she's completely sharp, better memory than I have. She loves Hallmark movies. This is what she does in the evening. She watches one after the other, you know, A Husband for Christmas. And they, mm. I mean, they're, it's a crazy industry. They're incredibly successful. So, of course, I had to read this list. I'm now all about Hallmark movies. And, you know, wow. there's, there's, there's like 500 of them, right? They're, they're, <laughs> they have, for, for two hours of movie, you get a, like a half an hour of, an hour and a half of movie and a half hour. <laughs> Incredibly, there's a market for this. No, it's all it's all rated G. Everybody's very chaste. So there, and and I discovered in this Washington Post list that there's one near here, Middleburg, Virginia. Oh, so I'm, I'm all ready to go to Middleburg and and check <laughs> out the Hallmark scene in Middleburg. I got to say, I've never watched one in my life either. Um, but Linda, now we know how you're going to be spending your holidays. I'm hooked. I'm hooked. You, you got it, my king. <laughs> Join in. <laughs> sure, sure. So I um, am catching up here on a profile of Gail King in the Wall Street Journal. And it's just all about how she has, uh, how she prepares herself for her day, starting with getting up at 324 in the oh, morning. God. Um, <laughs> and just talks about her favorite foods, some of her favorite clothes. It's a little frivolous, but I thought it was a fun read and very enjoyable uh, to kind of get a peek behind the curtain at a, at a major media figure. She, and she's a great talent, uh, Gail King. She really is. Yeah, that's that's great. Can't wait to read that. Well, I'll tell you what my favorite story is. In one word, Riz. I <laughs> Now, I, I, I never even heard this word before, I must admit it, but the Oxford University Press, they do it every year, they have declared that the word of the year for 2023 is Riz, R-I-Z-Z, -Z, which means, you know, jazz, style, charm, sexy. If you got, you've got Riz or you don't, 
It went viral in June when actor Tom Holland, in an interview with BuzzFeed, said, I have no Riz whatsoever. I have limited Riz. <laughs> uh, but Riz is a, it, it's a shorthand for charisma, which we all know. Uh, so you either have Riz or you don't. I, I, I'm going to have to start using that word. I must admit, never heard of it. And it's already the word of the year. But I will say this, that our panelist, Maya King from the New York Times, Linda Feldman from the Christian Science Monitor, and Arthur Delaney from HuffPost, you all have Riz, lots of Riz, not limited Riz. And we thank you, Rizzers, for your time today. Thanks all of you for listening, friends. Have a great weekend. And please come back and see us on Tuesday. In the next edition of the Bill Press Pod, we're going to be talking to Tim Alberta, great staff writer from The Atlantic, who's got a very important new book out called The Kingdom, The Power, and The Glory, talking all about white Christian nationalism and the role of evangelicals in today's politics. That's next Tuesday. Have a great weekend. We'll see you then on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod.